could you? Second Timothy chapter number 4. Let's begin reading in verse number 1. We're not going to use all this, but just as a means of introduction. The Word of God says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at His appearing in His kingdom. Preach the Word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Boy, you know, I believe that's true. We're living in that time. Amen. But after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. For I am now ready to be offered and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. Not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica, Crescens to Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. And Tychicus have I left, have I sent to Ephesus. The cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus, when thou comest, bring with thee, and the books, but especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. Of whom be thou where also, for he hath greatly withstood our words. At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work, and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever, Amen. Let's read verse 17 once more. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I'd ask that you'd bless your word tonight and that you'd glorify your Son. Pray that each heart would be touched in a particular way and in such a way that bring you the most glory. You know what our hearts need. You know what our lives need, Lord. And we just ask that you'd fulfill those needs, meet those needs, and help us to be surrendered to you in such a way that we'd allow you to. Father, we just praise you tonight. We bless your name for all your goodness, for all your benefits upon us. And we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. I'm very interested in the phrase at the end of verse number 17, where the Apostle Paul says, And I was delivered out of the mouth of of the lion. The book of 2 Timothy is the very last book that Paul wrote. We know this because of the statement that he gives in verse number 6 where he says, I am now ready to be offered and the time of my departure is at hand. He said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. The apostle Paul is awaiting death in a prison. Paul would be beheaded by Nero. and He is waiting for his life to end. And as he is waiting for his life to end, as he's waiting to depart and be with the Lord, he takes pen in hand, or rather dictates a letter to be written, so that he might touch base 
and have a point of contact and a place of encouragement with a young man by the name of Timothy. Timothy, Paul referred to as his own son in the faith. I believe that Timothy was probably led to the Lord by the Apostle Paul. And as Paul writes this letter, it has the tender language of someone that is on their deathbed, quote-unquote. If you were to read 1 Timothy, and 1 Timothy is just as inspired as 2 Timothy, but you'll find that the book of 1 Timothy deals heavily with church structure and pastoral authority and ecclesiastical ideals, uh, church order, church discipline, things of that sort, all very, very needful topics. But in 2 Timothy, it's the tender words of a father giving some last truths to someone whom he considers to be like a son to him. And as he is pinning down these words, he begins to talk about what the Lord has done for him in his life. And he begins to recount some things. We do not know necessarily the chronology of some of the events that Paul is talking about, but the way that he speaks about them would lead us to believe that they are in the fairly recent history. And he's talking about how even in these last years and in these last months, how that God has preserved him and how that God has watched over him. Can I say tonight that I'm thankful that, there, that, that God's goodness never has an expiration date. I'm thankful that up until the moment that the Lord Jesus returns for his bride, or until the moment that I'm caught up to him through death, I'm thankful that the Lord has promised to be with me all the way. There's never going to be a moment where the Lord says, I'll not go with you. There'll never be a moment where He says, you've gone too far, you've messed up too bad, I cannot uh, forgive this, and I cannot help you, and I cannot lift you out of the pit that you've dug for yourself. The Lord has promised us He'd never leave us nor forsake us. And so with this testimony, Paul uses very unique language in verse 17. You know, there's some that have believed, and I'm of this belief. I believe that there were a lot of things that went on in Paul's life that God didn't see fit to be recorded for you and I. I know that he mentioned, uh, sort of in an offhand way in the book of Ephesians, uh, that he may have fought with the wild beasts. And certainly at this time in history, wasn't uncommon for Christians to have to uh, fight in an arena or in some kind of venue against wild beasts and to be set forth as sort of a, a human sacrifice for the purpose of sport that they might entertain folks. I'm of the belief that we may get to heaven and find out that Paul had found himself in those arenas. There's no doubt that Paul had been in much peril. But I don't believe Paul is talking about a literal lion in verse 17. Let me tell you why. Because he didn't say that the Lord delivered me out of the mouth of lions or out of the mouth of a lion. But as though Paul would assume we would understand what he's saying, he says that the Lord delivered me out of the mouth of the lion. A particular lion. A lion with whom Paul's readers would be well acquainted. As I read my Bible, it's, you don't have to go very far to find out who this lion is. In my opinion, we have an idea of who this lion is in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, where Peter writing says this, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. You see, when Paul talked about the Lord delivering him out of the mouth of the lion, I don't believe he was talking about a literal lion. I don't believe he was talking about one of the individuals that he mentions in the prior verses. But I believe that Paul is talking about a satanic affliction and oppression that had been present in his ministry. Can I say this? You do anything for the Lord and the devil's going to want to stop you. 
I was talking to some of our missionaries. I was talking to the Trivets, and uh, we were talking about just some of the things in ministry that take place and some of the difficult times that they have had. And uh, they weren't complaining, but that's just a reality. I mean, you go all the way up to South Dakota where it's cold enough to freeze your socks, your ankles. It ain't easy, amen? And we were talking about all of the things and, and some of the difficult things that had happened. And uh, they said to me, it's, it's almost as though there's just such a satanic oppression against our ministry. And I said, well, I believe wholeheartedly that there is. And let me tell you why. Brother Trivet had pastored in Chattanooga for 22 years. But here's the reality. In Chattanooga, if the devil had stopped him, there would have been a lot of other churches in Chattanooga the devil would have had to stop to completely extinguish the light of the gospel in that city. But you go up Pine Ridge, South Dakota, and all he's got to stop is them because there's not a strong gospel witness up there. You see, the reality is you do anything for the Lord and you're going to come into face-to-face with satanic oppression and satanic resistance. If you try to give your life to the Lord, I don't say it to scare you now because the Lord is able and He can strengthen you and He can do great and mighty things through your life. But I'm just letting you know that Scripture teaches us very clearly that when we take sword in hand, shield in hand, put our faith in the Lord and determine to do something for Him, we take a stand. But don't think for one moment that the devil won't also take a stand against us. As you read through the Word of God, you'll find several times that the devil stood up against the people of God. And I believe the devil's still standing against the people of God today. And I believe in Paul's time, he's talking about a period of time in his ministry in which the devil had stood against him and tried to stop him. Now, I want us to take a few moments tonight, and I want us to preach about the mouth of the lion and about the Lord's goodness and His grace and His strength in the midst of Paul's adversities. I want you to notice, first off, the persecutions of the adversary. Now, sometimes as you read the Word of God, and I'm not implying that the Word of God is not clear, and I'm not implying that it's a riddle book, because it's not, but sometimes, I mean, God wrote these words, God breathed these words, but He used human instrumentality to do it. He did not superimpose upon uh, the writer's personality or personal experiences. Rather, He used those that He might deliver His exact, perfect, inspired words. And so you have to understand that as you read the Word of God, sometimes it'll help you to sort of read in between the lines of what's being said. Put yourself in Paul's shoes. Hear what he's saying in these verses and notice some of the points of persecution that Satan had endeavored to launch against him. Look at verse number 10 with me. The Bible says, For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica. Now let's pause there for a moment. The Word of God is very clear that Demas left because he was either unsaved or worldly, one of the two. The next two men, we do not know. Crescens to Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia. Could you imagine what a discouragement it must have been to Paul to be left alone? And can I say that sometimes the devil persecutes us through abandonment. Paul had been abandoned in ministry. Here he is alone in a jail cell. There's not very many people that have stood with him. And no doubt, he, like many people could, could count and could name the names of folks that at one time had stood with him and said, Paul, I'm never going to leave you. Paul, I'm in it with you for the long haul. Paul, I'll stand with you if no one stands with you. And now Paul, in shackles and chains, looks around him and says, all these people have gone away. That's a discouraging thing. You serve God long enough, you're going to have folks turn their back on you. It's just the truth. The Lord will never turn His back on you. But you're going to have folks that are going to disappoint you. 
Folks that are going to leave. Folks that are going to walk away. What a discouragement it could have been to the Apostle Paul. This was one of the snares of Satan. But look at what it says in the next verse. It says, only Luke is with me. I would propose to you tonight that though there were many that had abandoned Paul, God gave him a faithful friend that did stick with him through everything. Let me tell you something. We have a providential God. You ever wonder why it was that God put Paul and Luke together? You ever wonder that? You know why, don't you? Because Paul's always getting beat up on. Amen? He needed a doctor that could be with him and nurse him back to hell. But not just a doctor for the sake of the medical care, but a doctor because it's someone that can empathize and sympathize and someone that can have compassion. Oh, what a sad to his soul it must have been as he was locked in prison and he began to name off the list of those that had forsaken him. And he said, Demas and uh, Crescens and Titus and all these people have left me. But then he looks over to the side and he sees faithful Luke sitting there. And he says, but Luke's still with me. Luke's still with me. Let me just say this. And this is going to be a little bit kind of different kind of message maybe than what you're used to. But let me just say this to you tonight. Sometimes it's so easy to get discouraged by those that aren't serving the Lord that you miss the encouragement you can get from those that are serving the Lord. I preached on this not too long ago, but in the book of Colossians, uh, Paul is writing a letter uh, to the church at Colossae. He's never met these believers at Colossae. But he's writing because of a man named Epaphras that is a dear uh, friend and a fellow laborer in the Lord with Paul. And Epaphras has come and he has told Paul about the faith of the Colossian Christians. And there's no doubt that Paul would have had around him a thousand things to be discouraged about. But instead, Paul looked towards a little church in Colossae and said, I'm going to choose to be encouraged by them. I'm going to choose to be, I'm going to focus on them. I've never seen them before. I've never met them before. But if what Epaphras tells me is true, then they give me reason to rejoice and to praise the Lord. You know, it's about time that we start looking for reasons to praise the Lord instead of forcing the Lord to beat us over the head before we'll praise Him. A lot of times God has to just drop a chest full of gold or, you know, a diamond the size of a car in our lap before we'll praise Him. That wasn't the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, hey, he'd look across the sea to people he had never met as a reason to praise the Lord. And what an encouragement they were to him. What an encouragement Luke must have been. Look at the next phrase in verse number 11. The Bible says, Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me. For the ministry. I think the devil persecuted Paul through abandonment, but I think the devil persecuted Paul through anger. If you read the history of John Mark, you'll, you'll find that it's not all good. John Mark was a young Jewish man. Uh, a lot of people, and I'm of this belief, that uh, John Mark was probably the young man that fled from the garden in the book of Mark. He had grown up in a godly household. He was, if I could put it this way, I mean, John Mark was a, was a church kid, a Christian school kid. I mean, he had all the opportunities. He had the best raising. He had all the potential in the world. And Paul had the highest hopes for him. Paul and Barnabas, who is John Mark's uncle, endeavor out onto a missionary journey. And John Mark says, I want to go. And you'll find this interesting. The church never prayed about sending John Mark. They prayed about Paul and they prayed about Barnabas, but they never prayed about John Mark. John Mark said, I want to go. They said, OK, you can go with us. Well, it wasn't long before John Mark just couldn't handle the pressures of ministry. And in a very short, simple, concise statement, the word of God merely says that John Mark returned to Jerusalem. He just went home. 
Well, listen to what the Bible says in the book of Acts chapter 15 about this. It comes time for the next missionary journey. Paul and Barnabas are getting ready to leave and to go out and serve the Lord. The Bible says, And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul thought not good to take him with them, who departed from them from Pamphylia and went not, went, went not with them to the work. And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed unto Cyprus. I believe that this was, and I, listen, we have a providential God, and He can work even in the midst of our shortcomings and failures. But no doubt Paul maybe battled with a little bitterness towards John Mark. Paul was so opposed to John Mark coming that it busted up the, the, the first and great missionary partnership that ever existed. He loved Barnabas like a brother. But he said, I will not go if John Mark goes with us. You know, a lot of times the devil seeks to persecute us through bitterness and anger. We have folks that hurt us, folks that disappoint us and fail us. And we allow that root of bitterness. It's not a tree of bitterness. It's not something that's apparent and evident to everyone. In fact, most of the time, if you were to look at someone, you'd never know that they had bitterness in their heart. But somewhere buried deep down, there's that root of bitterness that springs up and many are defiled thereby. But where does the story end concerning John Mark? I'm thankful that Paul found victory through his relationship with the Lord over his bitterness. No doubt he could have stayed bitter. And, and, and I'm going to be honest with you now. I think Paul was right. But did you know that just because you're right, that don't mean you can't be bitter. And just because you're right, that don't mean your bitterness is right either. Paul was probably right. But he says it's not a matter of whether I'm right or wrong. It's a matter of my relationship with the Lord. He learned to forgive John Mark. You know that the, the worst blow we can land towards the devil is to forgive someone. You know what the death nail was and the work of Satan in this world? was when our blessed Lord hung upon the cross and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And what a, what a blow we can deal to the work of Satan when we can just learn to forgive those that have wronged us. I believe that the devil persecuted him through anger. Look at verse 12. The Word of God says, Antiochus... Have I sent to Ephesus? Now, some of you are saying, well, what does that have to do with anything? How can I gain something from that? But you'll find that this isn't the only place where Ephesus is mentioned, and this isn't the only place where Tychicus is mentioned. In fact, we find that Paul had a thriving ministry in Ephesus. God had delivered much of that city from the bondage of pagan idolatry, and uh, Paul had seen multitudes saved. God had done a mighty work there. There comes a time when Paul must depart from Ephesus. The work of the church planner is done. A church has been planted. Elders have been ordained. And Paul's getting ready to leave. And I'll be honest with you, it would be a great help for you to read all of, all of Acts chapter 19 and 20 when you get time to. But let me just read one verse to you. Listen to what Paul said about the church at Ephesus. He said this, For this I know, verse 29, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. He goes on to say in Acts chapter 20 how that day and night for the space of three years with tears, with crying, with labor, how that they had worked amongst them and prayed for them. And he's getting ready to leave. And you know, God puts an emphasis on that departure. 
I mean, Paul planted lots of churches and Paul left lots of churches after he had planned them. But there is more recorded about his departure from the Ephesian believers than of any other church that he planted and departed from. Paul was very worried about them. And I believe sometimes the devil persecutes us through anxiety, through worry. You know, the Word of God's very clear that we can't by worry add a cubit to our stature. We can't, listen, we can't change the color of our hair by worry. Well, we can, but not the way that we'd want to, amen? The truth of the matter is, worry is an evil, wicked thing. We all worry. I don't care who you are. I'm not scolding you for worrying, but it doesn't make worrying any less wicked just because we all do it. Worrying robs tomorrow of its joys. Worrying takes the trouble that does not exist and makes it our present trouble. And I'm sure that Paul had great anxiety and concern. And let me tell you something, worry can paralyze you from serving the Lord. I've known people that were so worried about what was going to happen if they ever took a step out in faith, that they never took a step. And they just stayed and they just stagnated because they were afraid that God couldn't pay their bills or God couldn't protect them or God couldn't bless them and use them. And they just never moved ahead and they never did anything for the Lord because of anxiety. But the Word of God tells us here in chapter 4 of 2 Timothy that Paul sent a man by the name of Tychicus there. What a blessing it must have been to the Apostle Paul when Tychicus came along. Listen to what he says about him in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 21. He says, But that ye also may know my affairs and how I do, Tychicus, listen to this, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord shall make known to you all things. In Colossians chapter 4 and verse 7, he says, All my state shall Tychicus declare unto you, who is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. You know what the reality is? Paul was very worried about the church at Ephesus, but God was already preparing a man to step in and to fill the need and to make a way. I pointed this out a few weeks ago. Just, I believe it was during prayer request time, just because the Lord had laid it on my heart. But in Daniel chapter number 12, a very interesting thing is mentioned. Daniel has been praying and asking God to answer him. And when the angel, Michael, the archangel, comes to Daniel and speaks to him in a vision, he says this, he said that uh, the moment that you prayed, he said, I heard and I came. He says, but the devil prevented me for 21 days. 21 days he'd been prevented. You say, why is that an encouragement, preacher? It's an encouragement because it tells me this, that before Daniel ever knew it, his answer was already on the way. God already had it all worked out. God already had a way made if he would only trust him with it. Notice another thing. I don't know how many it is, but look at verse 13. The Word of God says, The cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus, when thou comest, bring with thee, and the books, but especially the parchments. You know that It's an awful thing when you're in a place of affliction and a place of need. Imagine what it must have been like for Paul in that small, damp pit that they would have called a jail cell. Cold, bugs, vermin all around. And he's there and he's without a coat, he's without a cloak. How cold the nights must have been. And listen, this may seem small, But if you've ever been in a place where you've been sick or you've not been well and you've hurt, you know how hurting can affect you spiritually. 
And no doubt, Paul, in the midst of this situation, he has no cloak and he doesn't have the things he needs. He even goes a step further and he says, I, bring the books with you. Bring the, the things that I love to read. But then he uses a very interesting term. He says, and the parchments. He's speaking about the Scripture. Picture with me, Paul, in the midst of this dark pit, he's cold, he's damp, he has no coat, he has no books, and he doesn't even have a copy of the Bible in front of him. How discouraging that must have been. And yet here, implied in this very passage, God sent Timothy along the way. I don't know if Timothy ever made it. The Bible doesn't record it for us. But God had someone ready to meet the need of the Apostle Paul. Can I just encourage you by saying this? Whatever you're going through, you won't have to go through it a moment longer than God needs for you to go through it. Whatever you're experiencing, be it financial difficulties, be it emotional difficulties, be it relationship difficulties, be it spiritual problems, whatever it may be, can I encourage you by saying the Lord has someone to come along the way. And if He doesn't have to send someone, He'll do it Himself. But God has an answer waiting for you. And God has it on its way. Notice another thing. Look at verse 14. He says, Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. Of whom be thou ware also, for he hath greatly withstood our words. We see that the devil persecuted him through assault. A man by the name of Alexander. We do not know a lot about him. There are several Alexanders in the Word of God. We do not know much about Alexander the coppersmith. Evidently, at one of the churches Paul had planted, Alexander had been somewhat of a prominent man, maybe an elder in that church. And at some point, the relationship with Paul had soured, and he began to persecute and assault the character of the Apostle Paul. And Paul says that it's to such a degree that he says that that man did evil towards me. They great withstood our words. And he says, the Lord reward him according to his works. You ever feel like the whole world has turned against you? Sometimes it's because the world has. Sometimes it's just because we feel that way. But here was somebody that made a personal vendetta to destroy the Apostle Paul. Aren't you glad that the Lord is our helper? That he's our stronghold and our refuge? There's a lot of passages in the book of Psalms that, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but sometimes there's a tendency to skip over them because, you know, here David is and he's maybe hiding away in a cave or out on the battlefield. and He's lost men and lives have been lost and, and, and the enemy is waiting for him and they're surrounding the city like dogs maybe and, and, and his life is in peril. And, and, you know, sometimes as we read the Bible, I don't know about you, but for me, I read those verses and I think, well, man, Lord, I, I, I don't have any kind of problems like David has. You know, you almost feel bad trying to identify with those verses because you're not going through what David went through. You think, well, Lord, it'd be silly for me to feel that way about somebody that just lied about me or talked about me or gossiped about me or said something to hurt my feelings. But can I remind you that the chief battle we're in is not a physical battle. It's a spiritual battle that's taking place. The battle that takes place spiritually uh, between us and the flesh and the world and the devil is far more dramatic and far more important and far far more pivotal than any battle that David ever fought on this physical earth. And the very same God that stood with David is the God that stands with you and I. The very same God. How did Paul get comfort? Look what he says again. He says, the Lord reward him according to his works. Paul understood this simple truth, that the Lord said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. 
Let me tell you something. We don't have the comprehension or the ability to mete out justice, but we have a God of justice. And God's able to take our part and to fight our battles. Notice another thing. Verse 16. This is the last one in this, and then we'll move on. He says this. At my first answer, no man stood with me. Now, what Paul's talking about, there's a little bit of of, uh, debate, I suppose. But I'll tell you what I believe. I believe he's talking about when he stood against Alexander the coppersmith. When Alexander the coppersmith stood up and began to assault and began to defame the uh, reputation of Paul and the things that Paul was preaching. Paul doesn't say at my first question or at my first response or my first word. He says at my first answer. I think Paul is saying when I stood up to stand against Alexander, when I gave answer to the charges that he gave, he says, no man stood with me. I pray God that it be not laid at their charge. Sometimes the devil afflicts us through apathy in the lives of others. You know, one of the most discouraging things when you're serving the Lord is the folks that just don't seem to care. I'm just being honest now. I can pre- I mean, this is a Wednesday night crowd. If you didn't care, you wouldn't be here tonight. You do care. I know that you do. And I know that as we serve God and as we endeavor to do the right thing and to please the Lord, and uh, there, uh, listen, there's people in this room that do things that nobody ever even knows about that they do for the Lord and do around this place and, and, and do not even around this place, but they do it for the Lord. And sometimes it gets so frustrating, so discouraging when you're serving the Lord and trying so hard, you're taking a stand, but no one will stand with you. How frustrating it must have been. How hurtful it must have been for the Apostle Paul. But look what it says in verse 17. He says, notwithstanding. I like that word, notwithstanding. You know what that means? That means, that means in spite of. Even though no one stood with me. Can I say this? That God's not afraid of being in the minority. Now, I know God's the majority. I, I'm, but I'm saying God's not afraid of being in the minority. God's not afraid of odds that the world would seem uh, would deem insurmountable. I mean, we have we have a God that flung this world into existence. We have a God that created everything. The Apostle Paul says, even though everyone forsook me, even though everyone left me, even though no one would stand with me, that didn't scare God away from standing with me. He says, notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me. And strengthen me that by me the preaching might be fully known and that all the Gentiles might hear. Can I say a quick word tonight, not only about the persecutions of the adversary, but about the preservation of the apostle? And I promise you I won't, I won't preach long on it, but I want you to notice how God preserved the apostle Paul. What were some things that gave the apostle Paul strength? Well, notice first off he was preserved by God's presence. He says, the Lord stood with me. Paul says, I was able to stand because I knew God was with me. I was able to stand because I knew God was standing right there beside me. And can I encourage you now, if you are trying to do the right thing, if you are trying to live according to the Word of God, if you're taking a stand on the truths of the Bible, the world may look at you like you're crazy. Your family may look at you like you're crazy. Your friends or friends so-called may look at you like you're crazy. Don't you worry or pay them a bit of mind because the Lord stands with you. And His presence goes with you. Remember what Moses said? Whenever God commanded Moses to take the children of Israel, Moses said, Lord, if Thy presence go not with us, he said, we'll not go up. 
Lord, if you won't go, I won't go. Now, this is the same Moses that marched into the palace of the Pharaoh. This is the same Moses that as a fugitive and as an outlaw marched into the royal courts of Egypt and said, The Lord God Jehovah, I am said, let my people go. And you're going to do it. You know what the key issue was for Moses? Moses said, Lord, if you won't go, I won't even go there. But if you'll go, I'll do anything you'd have me to do. The presence of the Lord was the difference for Moses. As a believer, if you've been saved, God promised He'd never leave you nor forsake you. But can I say that there is a sense in which the presence of God can be with us in a manifest way. And when I say manifest, I don't mean through fireworks or visions or, or uh, an audible voice. But, but I mean when we're serving God and doing the right thing, God can give us a boldness to stand for Him because we're willing to. Remember what Elijah said when he walked into the palace of Ahab? He said, as the Lord God liveth before whom I stand. Now, wait a minute. How much of that sounded to Ahab? Surely Ahab thought, no, you're in my palace. But you see, to Elijah, Ahab's palace didn't mean much. Ahab's throne room didn't mean much because Elijah was in a greater throne room than Ahab's. Conscious of the presence of God, it gave him a boldness to stand for the Lord. Notice the second thing. He was preserved by God's presence, but he was preserved by God's power. He says, notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. I believe in supernatural strength. I believe in a work of grace in the life of the believer that provides a supernatural strength for them. When I say a work of grace, I don't mean tongues. I don't, I don't mean, uh, you know, holy laughter. I don't mean slain in the Spirit. But what I mean is that I believe that God is able to strengthen believers for the adverse conditions that we have to serve the Lord in at times. I'll say this, that I've seen Christians with a boldness that had to come from heaven because I knew them well enough to know it didn't come from them. I've seen people stand right up and give the gospel, not in an unkind way, not in a mean way, but in a compassionate and a courageous way, stand and give the gospel. I'm talking about people that were so backwards, they wouldn't even look you in the eye. But the second that God provided them an opportunity to witness, God gave them the strength to witness, and God gave them a boldness to witness that they had never had before. I'm telling you that God can give us strength to serve Him tonight. God can give us strength. Oftentimes, we talked about this a few weeks ago, that the strength of God is manifest through long-suffering and patience and joyfulness. The long-sufferingness, just to simply do the work of God without any applause, without any accolades, and to continue and to persevere and to press on even in the midst of it. And I do believe God's able, if we'll come to Him for strength and if we'll not depend on our own, I believe God can strengthen us. Notice the third thing. I believe He is preserved by God's purpose. Look what He says. He says, Notwithstanding the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear. I've said this often before, but I'll touch on it again. As you read through the book of Job, and, and, and there's probably, other than the man of sorrows, the Son of God, there's probably never been anyone that was afflicted in the way that Job was. Job had a life of affliction, and a life of suffering, and a ministry of the same. And as you read through the book of Job, you know what you find to be the common trend? You know Job's chief complaint? 
Job's complaint is not that he lost his children. Job's complaint is not that he lost all of his money. Job's complaint is not that he lost uh, his health. You know what Job's chief complaint is all through the book of Job? He says, oh, that I might find the Lord. That I might plead my cause before Him. That I might hear His judgment. You know what Job's chief complaint was? Was that he just couldn't understand There's something that makes affliction much more bearable when we know there's a purpose. When we know there's a purpose, it's not just a cruel joke. It's not a divine mistake. But God has everything in hand and He's in control. And He's got a chief and great purpose. Can I just tell you tonight that I can't tell you the purpose behind everything that will take place in your life, but I can tell you that there is a purpose behind everything that takes place in our lives. I can't tell you why you're going through what you're going through, whatever it may be, but I can tell you that there's a reason why you're going through what you're going through. God doesn't do anything offhand. God doesn't do anything with no reason, with no purpose. And Paul says, I see it now. And I don't know if Paul always did see it, but it this point in writing, Paul says, I see it now that God did this so that the gospel might go unto the Gentiles and reach unto them. You remember what he said, I believe it was in the book of Philippians when he talked about him being in prison. And he said that some preach Christ out of contention and to add affliction to my bonds. He says, some preach it for the right reasons, some preach Christ for the wrong reasons. But he said, at the end of the day, Christ is preached and therein I rejoice. I don't know the exact situation, but I know that there was a group of people that were preaching in such a way that hurt Paul's case and that caused him much grief. But he says, I choose to not see it that way, for the gospel is being sounded forth. The gospel is being sounded forth. Paul says, I see there's a purpose in it all. Notice not only the preservation of the apostle, but finally, and I'll just touch on this and we'll close. Notice the promise of the Almighty. Verse number 18, And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work. Paul said, God has promised to guard me. God has promised to guard me. He doesn't say from every evil thing or from every evil event or every evil incident. But he says, God will protect me, will deliver me from every evil work. You know what Paul is saying here? He's saying in the midst of all these things, In the midst of my trials and afflictions, God has made a promise that He'd not lead me into temptation. God has made a promise to me that He'd not put me in a situation where I would be tempted, where there'd not be a way of escape made. And the Lord has promised to guard me if I'll let Him guard me. That doesn't mean that God is going to take away our free will doesn't mean that we'll never have an opportunity to sin or to do wrong. But I promise you this, if we have a heart to do right, if we have a heart to do right, and if we're surrendered to the Holy Ghost and obedient to Him, God will make sure our testimony can be maintained. God's not going to allow us in a situation where our only option is to sin. Never, never, never. He said, I'll always make a way of escape. Paul said, God promised to guard me. But notice the second thing. He says, God promised to guide me all the way home. Look what he says. He says, and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom. Paul didn't have very long to go. I don't know how long you have or I have. Funny old world we live in. You know, there's some of you that may feel like you don't have much time left and you may attend my funeral. We don't know. Or maybe the Lord will come back and catch us away. We won't have to go to no more funerals. Wouldn't that be wonderful? 
But I know this, that I'm not holding on to try to get to heaven. I'm not holding out to try to get to heaven. I'm not trying to maintain good works to to make it there. I'm not trying to stick in or stick out to find a way to get to heaven. I have been promised of God that He will preserve me unto His heavenly kingdom. He will. I'm not hoping. I don't have a hope-so salvation. I have a no-so salvation. That doesn't mean that everyone that's saved don't ever have doubts. But what it means is that the kind of salvation that we've got is a no-so kind. We can know that we're saved. The Apostle Paul said, just as the songwriter would echo many, many years later, through many dangers, toils, and snares I have already come. Tis grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. He says, God will guide me home. And then finally, look at the last phrase. He says, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. God has promised that He would guard him. God has promised that He would guide him. And finally, God has promised that He would glorify Himself in Paul. You know, that's the chief aspiration the believer can have, is to live in such a way to bring God glory. You see, the problem is we think it's all about us. I'm not fussing at you, but that's the truth. We think it's all about us, our comfort and our happiness. I'm thankful that God wants us to be happy and He wants us to have joy. But you're not here to be happy and have joy. You can have joy. And your joy shall no man take. And there's a joy that comes from the Lord. I'm not saying we're not going to have joy. But I'm saying this. Your comfort is not God's chief priority. His glory is His chief priority. All things are to be to the honor and praise of His glory. And I can promise you this. It may not always be an easy road. It may not be free of of potholes or free of roadblocks at times. But He does lead us in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. And if we'll just serve Him, we'll find that He can gain glory out of our lives. What did Paul say to the church at Colossae? He said, Christ in you, the what? The hope of glory.